Hey everyone, we are back. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome to More Than a Title episode one. I'm your host, Jared Thomas. Some of you guys may recognize me from LinkedIn. You may be my colleagues, or you might've watched some of my older rankable videos, but let's really set the table for what you'd expect from More Than a Title and why I started this. So I wanted to start the series. Often I listen to business podcasts and it's usually always the same thing, the same topics. It's very technical and the same people in the circuit. But I wanted to give my listeners and myself an opportunity to get to know people that I admire and really understand the person behind the title, understand what their personal journey has molded them and how it's helped them become successful professionally. So there's a lot of lessons in the, a lot of value in the lessons, because at the end of the day, we are all more than our titles. And those are the people that I want to meet. So today we have a special guest. He is the author of 50 Secrets of Trade Show Success, a five-time VP marketing with 20 years of industry experience leading public and private B2B tech companies, and currently the CMO of the rocket ship, the top sales intelligence platform, Gong. So let's all welcome Mr. Udi Ledegor. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, Jared. Looking forward to our chat. Likewise, likewise. As I told you behind the scenes, um, it's an honor. You're somebody who I admire greatly. Um, I've been following you for quite some time. And just for you to take time out your day to talk to me, it's really a blessing. So thank you so much. Yes, yes. So it's so much I want to talk to you about, Udi. I feel like I could go everywhere with this. And uh, But let's start from the very top. If you could kind of walk us through, you know, how did you get into tech and, and kind of lead us through how you got to Gong and what that journey was like? Sure. You know, I, I got to tech absolutely by mistake, almost against my will. Uh, my father uh, had been working for tech companies for probably 50 plus years. He just retired a few months ago at the age of 73. And I remember visiting him in the office. I used to run errands there during summertime. And I saw him sitting, typing away at his computer like 40 years ago. And I'm like, that seems like such a boring job. Who would want to do that? And of course, I've been in tech for the last 20 plus years because I guess that's, that's what I saw. And I ended up in tech, but um, more more seriously, uh, although that's that's entirely true. Um, I'm I'm originally from Tel Aviv, Israel, and in Israel um, there is mandatory military service. So I served wow. for four years in the artillery corps. Um, I was uh, honorably discharged as a captain from regular army, and then did 20 years of reserve duty, uh, coming in for a few weeks every year. And when I finished my my service uh, at regular army at age 22. Uh, there was a company who had uh, started developing a simulator for a rocket system that I happened to be an expert on for my military service. And somehow they, they got to me and recruited me just a couple of months before I, I left the army. And I said, would you want to come help us build the simulator for the rocket system that you were working on in the army? I'm like, sure. And that was my first break into uh, tech. I, I hadn't even gone to college yet. I haven't, hadn't even thought about my plans after the army. I was looking forward to taking a little bit of a rest, but they had other plans for me. So I just started working the day after I finished my military service. That is insane. I, I would have never known that. That is insane. That's wow. a great story. And then how, how did that transition into marketing and where did you get your passion from that? Awesome. So, you know, in the first job that I did, I was sort of the subject matter expert on this rocket system to make sure that the simulator we were building was true to reality and made the technicians training on it, feel that they were working on the real rocket system, which is, of course, way more expensive and risky to work on than a simulator, which is why we built the simulator in the first place. And I found myself uh, translating what I knew about the rocket system, which I'd actually used in the field, to programmers who had never been in artillery and didn't know what a rocket system looked like, but they had to design this thing to look and feel like a rocket system, which, if you think about it, is kind of what a product manager does. Right? Exactly. I was taking the market requirements, the customer requirements, translating them into geek speak that the engineers understood. 
And so I did this for a couple of years. Um, I fast forwarded a couple of companies and I, I did product management for a few good years. And while I was doing that at a company called Sarin Technologies, which is the world leader in technologies for the diamond industry, no less. So I went from military simulators to diamonds uh, and we, we created three dimensional scanners for measuring the quality and, and cut of diamonds. And while I was doing that, I found that I was enjoying my time with customers even more than I was enjoying my time writing the requirement documents for engineering. I enjoyed both parts, but I found I had a stronger affinity to the customer side. And essentially, I started building what then became the marketing function of the company. And after doing the PM role for five years, I went to my CEO and I said, look, I think we need a full-time marketing function and I've got just the guy for you. I want to take on the role. And I said, give me like a few months, I'll hire a new product manager, I'll transition clearly the, the position to him, and then I want to take uh, the marketing role. And he said, go do it. And, and I did it. And that's how I, I created for myself my first marketing position. That is amazing. I, what, what The lesson I love about that is that you went for it. You knew what you wanted to do and you went straight to the CEO and said, hey, this is what I want to do. I, this is the perfect fit and this is my plan. So anybody watching... Like we have a saying at Hootsuite that I love is give it a try, right? Like, and that's what you 100%. did. Like you just jumped off and just said, this is what I want to do. And I think that's amazing, right? So I'm also very curious because I'm a, I've been a gone customer forever, right? So like, I hate listening to Thank my you. calls. I, I cringe listening to my calls. We all do. <laughs> right? Like, so I love the transcript. I love everything about Gong. But I'm curious, what was your first impression of Gong? Like, and what was that, what was the conversation with like the CEO and, and even second part to that question, what is the CMO interview process like? Awesome. So yeah, again, I've got, as you might expect at this point, kind of a, a off the beaten path answer for you. So yeah. um, Amit Bendov, our co-founder, fearless leader and CEO at Gong, uh, he and I have worked together on and off at three different companies for the past 24 years. Wow. Yeah, and we were not teenagers when we started, I swear. Um, <laughs> So, so he and I had worked together in the early 90s at a company called Click Software that went public on NASDAQ, eventually got acquired by Salesforce for like $1.5 billion. Um, Ten years later, he hired me to be his right-hand man and build a marketing team at a great Israeli company called Panaya that eventually got sold to uh, an Indian IT giant called Infosys for $250 million. And fast forward almost 10 years later, uh, he founded Gong. Now, he and I met for coffee and he told me about his idea before they wrote the product. And I said, wow, that sounds amazing if we could pull it off. But the technology, I just don't know if it exists. And he said, well, we'll go build it. And then he calls me back six months later. This was July of 2016. And he said, hey, Udi, remember the crazy idea I told you about six months ago? Well, we built the product. We rolled it out to 12 beta customers. And three months later, we told them we're shutting it off unless you start paying us. And 11 out of the 12 wrote a check. Wow. And so he said, I think we have early product market fit and we should start marketing this thing. Can you come help us? And I said, sure. What, what have you been waiting so long for? So I, I dropped everything I was doing. Uh, I was consulting some, some companies at the time and I, I quickly divested them from my time and came to join Gong. So that was my interview. The CEO called me and asked if I could come help. Um, amazing. Amazing. And, and for those who may not be in the industry, let's just let's just talk about the problem that Gong solves. Right. So as me as a sales rep, I've been a sales rep for 10 years. Right. And an interesting stat that I've, I've pulled that I forget what publication, but 77 percent of all sales folks fail within their first year. 
right? And what Gong does is allow you to be more successful by understanding what those customer pain points are and really just dive deep into your filler words. Like, what can you do to improve? And it really helped us because I also saw another stat that I think businesses don't profit from their sales rep until year two. So that's insane too. So they correlate and it was a big product in the market and you guys solved it and you created yeah, the category. The, yeah, everything you said is absolutely right, Jared. I'll, I'll maybe add 10 seconds of context for those sure. who don't know us. I mean, the, the biggest problem that the customer facing teams face these days is that most of the information that they use to make their decisions is based on self-reporting. It's a rep like you that'll go and put information in the CRM or an SDR like me that'll write notes that may or may not reflect what actually happened in reality. Um, and where so many teams like marketing and finance have been operating on hard data for years, sales has been allowed to get away without hard data for decades now. And Gong is changing that with our reality platform that all customer facing teams can use to use reality instead of opinions to base their business decisions on. And this can help you close more deals, improve your sales skills, and really understand what's happening in your business environment. So that, that was the end of the shameless plug for Gong. No, that, that's a, I'm ready to drop the mic, but I'll break my computer. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Jared, you asked me, you asked me what, what, how did I respond when I saw the product? So when Amit called me in in July 2016, uh-huh. he showed me an ugly-ass version of the product. It was like so basic. Our CTO, Elon, literally wrote this in a coffee house. He sat in a coffee house and coded the first version of the product. It was the ugliest thing you've ever seen. But my jaw dropped because I saw that what Amit described to me six months earlier was now a reality. And I immediately understood that this has the potential to change an industry. And boy, am I glad I was right. Oh, my goodness. Talk about a, a betting on yourself, right? Like, that's a, a key to everything. And, like, I'm curious, too. You know, while I'm a big fan of Gong and yourself, I feel like you operate on a different system than most B2B brands, right? And when I think of B2B and how I say to, like, my friends and teammates, it's boring to boring business, right? It's the same model. It's the same context. It's the same website. Like you said in Chris Walker's web uh, interview, same color palettes, all of that stuff. So where where did you get that, like, where did you get that attitude or mentality to dare to be different in this space? And how has it really reflected, you know, and how has it helped Gong as a whole? You know, when uh, when I came in to interview with Amit, not for this job at Gong, but many, many years ago for the job at Panaya, um, I walked into his office and he had uh, one of those cork boards behind him. And there was only one thing tacked to it. It was this, this cartoon of one of those signs like you see when you're driving on a highway and there's this little town in the middle of nowhere. So there was one of these signs and the sign said, welcome to nobody cares, population 8 billion. And that stuck with me ever since then because that is Amit's approach to marketing and to building products. And it has become my approach to, to marketing. You have to assume that the world doesn't care about your product release version 2.0.7. Nobody cares. <laughs> If you're still writing press releases about that or or those are your only posts on social media or those are your only emails and you're wondering why nobody's engaging and responding and sharing, it's because nobody cares. As soon as you understand that and you put your ego aside, then it's no longer about what the company wants to say. It's about what your customers want to hear. And Mm -hmm. it's a really fundamental change in how marketers and brands operate. Once you start with what the customers want to hear and you work back from there to what can I tell them that they absolutely want to hear, then you build a different brand, you tell a different story, you engage customers in a different way. And that's how you build millions of followers on your social media channels, on your emails, at your events. That's the way to do it. And a lot of B2B companies are still operating with their product 
as the center point of their marketing. And guess what? Most people just don't care. <laughs> You've got to start with what they care about and figure out how to connect that to what you want to see. And if you're doing it the other way around, you're never going to get it right. That is, oh man, that's such a gem right there. Like I think I say this to a lot of, I used to say this a lot on Rankable, right? But a lot of people don't really understand brands don't understand that it's a buying process now versus the sales process. Back in the day, we used to, you know, prospect, we used to send a lot of messaging. It was a numbers game at that point, right? But this day and age, there's so much information and content out there that you have to really resonate with your audience on a different and personal level. And I feel like- I, I couldn't agree more. There's, there's a great sentence to sum that up, Jared. People love buying, but they hate being sold to. Yep. Yep. The game is to be, oh, what did it say? Um, people, just, people buy from people. That's just yes. really what it, what it boils down to, which leads us in a great segue. Um, one other thing I love about Gong, and I work on myself, is my personal branding, right? I feel like the SDR is there. I feel like the accountant. I feel like the jan even a janitor might have a brand. They're like, what's going on over there? Like, is there a playbook? Because I've been speaking with my marketing team, and we're looking at how to scale personal branding for our company, right? So is there a playbook and, you know, what is it like for your employees? Do they come here wanting to co create content on their own or is this something that you help them scale? No, 100%. Uh, I love that question because I think so many people are wondering, oh, how can I build a, a personal brand? And companies are still wondering, should I encourage this or should I yeah. only ask my employees to focus on company content? So yeah. I can tell you what we do at Gong and I'm not suggesting there's only one solution to, to this sure. question or one answer. We encourage everyone at Gong to build their own brands if they're comfortable doing so. Not everyone is, right? If you talk to a, a, a shy engineer or an introvert finance person, they might not want to build a personal brand. They, they don't want, even want their picture up on LinkedIn. That's fine. Yeah, totally. totally. Um, but a lot of people, especially in our profession of sales and marketing, uh, they see the value of a personal brand because people love connecting with people. And when you show your human side, whether it's in an email or in a customer event, or on social media, people want to hang out with you. If, if you're putting yourself out there, you're being vulnerable, you're talking about what's working, what's not working. And so if you look at people at Gong, and these are not just the executives, right? 10 years ago, um, social media managers were trying to recruit their executives to build their personal brands because they thought only they could be the face of the company. Exactly. You know what? Um, there are very few executives at Gong. There are a tiny handful, but very few executives at Gong who are very, very active on LinkedIn. But if you look at Andre McBride from our SDR team, if you look for yeah. Sarah Brazier from our sales team, yep. look at Devin yep. Reed from our marketing Content team, team. Yep. all of them have built amazing personal brands by showing up with their authentic self, talking about their times and trials as an SDR or as an SDR transitioning into an AE or an AE transitioning into a content manager like Devin. And by doing so, they've accumulated thousands of followers who want to follow their journey are inspired by them. And if they end up buying a revenue intelligence platform, they'll probably want to do it from the company that these people work for. And that's exactly. that's what so many companies miss. Oh, that that is that is key. And I don't think you 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 hit the head on a nail, like you hit the nail on the head with that one. Like, and I follow all of them you you mentioned. Um, Devin's my guy. I appreciate it. Shout out to Devin. But what you said about the authenticity part matters, right? So most brands, I feel like they don't want people to really show them authentic selves. And I had a conversation with the CEO of Revolt, and he said something on an older podcast is 
people want you to show up as this, right? That's when you're going to be the most comfortable. And that's when the best ideas are going to translate. And for me on my personal brand, like the SEO content, all that stuff was good. But what worked for me is when I was like, hey, I was 20 years old. I was working at Le Pan Quotidian and Starbucks and I had my first child and I needed to do something different with my career. So what did I do? And what was that transition like into tech? And what it does, like you said, it makes you more relatable, right? People want to do business with 100%. you. I've seen it on my side, like my sales cycle at the agency cut from four months to about two and a half weeks to a month, right? Because now they're on the phone. They're like, Jared, I love you, man. And I've seen your content. Now I don't have to ask discovery questions like that because you want to do business and we can have a real open, honest conversation. So for those listening, I think the matter of fact, I would love to ask you this. So how have you, how has that translated? How are you able to quantify how those efforts have led to the, you know, the brand? How's that impacted the brand? Awesome. Well, you know, there's a few ways that we do that. Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll start by saying that not everything we do around brand building, whether it's company brand or personal brand, not everything is measurable. And that is yes. OK. You should not stop doing something just because you can't measure it. You, you should not, because many times the right thing to do is something you can't measure. You know what? I'll, I'll give you a really, really simple uh, example. We found out and I'll get back to your question, but something we found out is you know, a lot of companies send a, a event invite using an email and there's a link to click here to register. Now, why do they do that? Uh, because it's easy to measure, right? If someone clicks the email and fills out a form, it's really easy, easy to measure. Now, last time your best buddy asked you if you want to go to a movie, did he send you a link to register and a form? <laughs> I'm guessing, I'm going out on a limb here. I'm going to guess that's not how your best friend invited you to come to a movie, right? Never. He texted you or maybe send you an email if you're on that sort of relationship and said, hey, you want to come to a movie tonight? And you probably responded, yeah, sure. Count me in, right? That was it. Now, why don't businesses talk to their customers that way? So we found, we, we decided to experiment. We said, to hell with measurement, we're going to send out an email from Danny Hutto. Danny is our events manager at Gong. Uh, he used to be an SDR and I hired him like four years ago. It was an amazing SDR. And then he wanted to transition to the marketing team to manage our events. So let him do that. And he's been absolutely fantastic. And we had the idea, what if we just send out an email from Danny saying, hey, Jared, um, I know you came to our last event. And, and if you found it useful, I wanted to let you know we're having another one next month. I haven't even put up the website yet, but should I count you in and register you for it? If you want to come, just reply to this email, say yes. Mm -hmm. And the first time he hit send, within an hour, he got 700 replies saying yes. Wow. Within an hour, 700 people said yes. And we're like, Wow, how has nobody done that before? <laughs> and then we sat for like an hour and figured out with marketing ops how to get them registered and measured and all that crap that who cares about. But we just created a beautiful human experience for 700 people who wanted to attend the event, but probably would not have filled out a form. We didn't even have a website. I didn't have a form to send them to. So they just hit reply. Yes, I want to come with you to the movies. And they yeah, all showed up at the event. So, so, so that's my point about... Do the right thing, even if it's hard to measure, because uh, I think sometimes marketings restrict themselves to doing things that are easy to measure at the expense of doing the right thing. So that, that was one example. But now back to your question on brand. Wow. You know, um, when, when you look at the performance of the people that, that we mentioned, they're, they're not only building fantastic brands, they're also fantastic performers. And so if you want to take those anecdotes, they're actually doing better than the average rep or average SDR or average marketer, right? That's number one. Two... Um, at Gong, we have a pretty elaborate, so I mean, simple, but but it's it's elaborate social strategy that combines both individual people posting their own content and sharing Gong content 
as well as the Gong company page sharing our own content. And we do have ways to measure the impact of that. I'll give you one really basic one that works really, really well, and I'm, I'm happy for everyone to steal this, okay? So how do we convert anonymous readers on, say, LinkedIn into known leads that we have their emails? Ever wondered how we do that? So here's how we do it. Big secret revealed, right? If you look at any Gong Labs article that Devin puts out there, right? He'll publish an article on LinkedIn and it'll usually get thousands and thousands of readers. Now, and we don't know who they are because that's how LinkedIn works. You, you, don't, you can't gate an article. Everyone can yep. go in and read it. In the middle of each of those articles, and there's hundreds, and we do the same trick every single time. In the middle of the article, there's a call to action. If you're enjoying this article on how to have better sales conversations over Zoom, you'll love this cheat sheet we created for you, which is the 10 tips for having better sales conversation. Click here to download it. And when you click here to download, that'll take you to a landing page on our website and we'll ask for your email to download that. Now, you know, marketers are happy if they get like a two to 5% conversion rate on a landing page. You know what conversion rates we see on these landing pages? 70 to 80%. 70 to 80% of the people who get to them will download the asset and give us their email. Why? Because we found them in the right zone, in the right mindful zone of they were reading an article on a topic they're clearly interested in. And now we offered them a really useful, valuable cheat sheet on the same topic. And so they just downloaded without even reading what's on the landing page. And then they go back to finishing the article. And that's a really simple way we've taken all these company brands and personal brands that we've built on LinkedIn. And people who follow Devin, they're like, oh, well, this guy's stuff is always good. I should read this article. And then they go like, oh, there's a cheat sheet too. Of course I want that. Where do I get it? And then they give us their email. And so when we publish an article like that with the cheat sheet that comes with it, we can see thousands of downloads within the hour after publishing it because people just want to download that. And that's how we convert our LinkedIn traffic that, that we worked so hard to build the personal brands and the company brands into known leads that we can start following up on. Oh, man, I love it. If anyone is listening, that is a gem if I've ever heard one. Um, oh, man, I could geek over hours and talk to you about this. But um, I, I'm curious as we're, you know, we're approaching time, right? So I've got two last questions for you, Udi, right? So, you know, you're a master marketer. In order to get to this point, I feel like you've had to fail and hit some road bumps along the way. So what is the one failure that you remember in your career that's helped shape you to be successful and where you are today? Um, there were a couple, uh, right? For, for every, every success that you see, there's multiple failures behind and I'm no different than anyone else on that. Sure. Uh, we just like to celebrate the successes because they're usually more photogenic and they, they show up <laughs> nice on social media, right? No, yeah. Nobody's ever sat on Instagram. So um, I would say a couple of failures that I learned from, and that's key, right? Not to dwell and obsess on your failures, but actually see what you can learn from them, yeah. um, was mostly around choosing companies that I went to work for. So one time I joined a company against my intuition that there would be friction with the founders. And I thought the company business-wise was a solid decision and I went for it. And uh, I ended up leaving uh, before the first year was over because it was not a good fit between me and the co-founders. And, and that's something I learned and I will not do again. Yeah. Uh, another situation I had, again, was around picking the wrong company for me. Uh, I picked some really good ones, but I also picked a couple that I would not have chosen again. And one of them's around, they had a really, really cool product, okay? It, mm -hmm. it, when you saw the demo, like, whoa, this is cool. And that kind of blinded me from checking, do they have access to funding? Do they have a competitive advantage in their market? How experienced yeah. is their team? These are questions I should have asked, and I didn't do a good job of asking and following up on them. 
And I ended up joining because the product was really cool. The founder seemed really nice. And I ended up learning the hard way that, that those questions were really important when they needed funding. They did not have access. Their product did not have a competitive uh, advantage in the market. And the team was inexperienced in, in solving for those problems. So, so the company did, did not do well. Um, so those are some things that I've added to my personal checklist and mental note for when I join a company now, this is the type of due diligence I need to do about the founders, about their experience, how yeah. they are on the human chemistry level. Do they have access to funding and do they know what great looks like? That, that that's amazing, I, and I think we've we've all gone through that, right? I think we all you have to, you, especially with choosing companies. Like I chose a programmatic company one time that didn't use data in their in their platform. I'm like, what the heck? But I needed the money. I had a kid. It was like I just got to go for it, right? Like so that's it happened that's to the best of us. Absolutely, and that's why I love like where I'm at right now because like I love being able to be my authentic self. Like I show up to conversations like this. I'm on calls with you. I'm on calls with my clients and, I, and I'm like this and I'm my best self when I'm like this. So being able to do that, authenticity matters. Please encourage employees to be themselves because that's when you can get the best results, right? It's not about what they look like. It's about the result they achieve, right? So that's what I'm all about. And then Udi, last question for you, right? One thing I, I, I admire about you, right? Because you're you're very open and personable and you, you share your life, right? On LinkedIn, right? So as an openly gay man, right? Have you experienced any biases in your professional career? And how have you been able to overcome that if you have? Um, it's a great question, Jared. I'm happy to talk about it. Um, I don't know that I have a lot of great lessons because I've been very lucky and fortunate to not have experienced bias in my personal life uh, or professional life. I'll put it that way. I've, I've not experienced any, any sort of uh, uh, discrimination in my professional life. I've been really lucky to work for fantastic tech companies, Along the years, I've been openly gay at all of them. I bring my husband to the company events. I celebrate my kids' Beautiful. birthdays. And, and uh, I post on LinkedIn our, our family costumes for Purim every year, which is for the sure. Jewish version yeah. of Halloween, for those who don't know it. Um, so I've, I've been super lucky. And in, especially in the last few years as an executive, I've used my position of power to help advocate not only for LGBT plus employees, uh, but also for other minorities. And I'm a big part of our diversity and inclusion uh, initiatives yeah. at Gong. And uh, I'm a big voice for, for folks who are not yet in these positions of power and A, want to see, I guess, inspiring examples of how they can get to positions of power. And just to use me as a channel to make asks for management or to use the company channels to post about uh, political or social topics that, that we think are important and we take a stand on. So I, I love using that that position of power that I have to do good. And I, I wish everyone did that. That's amazing. And and representation matters. And it's so needed in today's space, right? Like, like for me, obviously, when I first started on LinkedIn, I think a goal of mine was to drive sales. I'm like, how can I convert sales, right? But then I thought about it, right? If authenticity has a strategy, then how authentic is it? Right. So so I was just like, man, I have to share my story, man. I have to just get this out there. And what matters to me is that when I came in the industry, I didn't have many black uh, mentors. Right. In the space, it was only a few of us. I go to a conference and maybe one other two other black employees and we just look from each other from across the room. It's just like that connection there. And that's my goal. Right. I want to be able to show people that you can still be cool. You can be yourself. I can listen to hip hop and I can still be a great marketer. I can still do these things. Right. And still be myself and really perform at a really, really high level. So that's something that's very important to me. And the fact that you said that, um, I think we all can, you know, can learn from that. No, I think people, people like you that, that share themselves out there and put out there the successes and their struggles 
It not yeah. only inspires a lot of other people to go down that route, it's also way cheaper than therapy. So I recommend right. it to everyone. <laughs> it is. It is. It's my journal. And I look back at it and like it's certain things that I've manifested, certain things that I wanted to do, and they just come to fruition, man. And just to have that that support, man. I, I have well, I'll share one story before we go. But some guy, you know, I never talked, I talked to him one time on a DM, but he tagged me in a post and he said, anything is possible. He DM'd me as an artist that he's an artist and some big you know, person bought his art for a big amount of money. And it was a lot of my content that inspired him to be on LinkedIn to help wow, sell housing. So like that melt made my heart melt. And that's what it matters. Yeah. It doesn't matter about the likes, the vanity metrics, none of that stuff, but it's the real stuff that matters. So Udi, um, you know, and if anything is a testament to that is this conversation right here, because we have never met. Um, I've just followed you on LinkedIn. And we and I'm so glad we did it. Social. And I'm so, uh, I'm, I'm honored and privileged for you to be the first guest. We're going to touch base. If you're ever in Atlanta, New York, Udi, you got lunch, a beer, whatever you want, man, let me know. Um, I would love Will to meet you in person. And uh, just thank you for, for taking the time to chat. And um, for all those listening and commenting, I love you guys. I've seen a lot of my colleagues. I've seen a lot of my family. I love you guys more than anything. Thank you for supporting. Next week, we've got Duarte Garrido, who's the head of social globally for, so, oh, for Coca-Cola HEP, which is amazing. So he's a great brother please connect and follow with him and thank you again Udi for your time and thank you for you know joining more than a title episode one so we see you thank guys you so week. much thank you so much Udi much love man I'll talk to you soon take care take care